All right. So if you guys turn to First Peter for me. It's towards the end of the Bible. It's not right before, but very close to that really scary book towards the end. Um, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm not. But, um, so Peter is writing the church, and then we're talking about the last days before the, the apostles are either martyred or, or pass. And Peter's writing the church, and he's just reminding them. And, and uh, he starts out, and he's just... He talks about, oh, that is not the right book. I should probably get to the right book. I skipped it. In the back of the Bible. Yeah, I know. I, I, one page difference, it made the whole different book. There we go. All right. So he talks about, in the, in the first scripture, he's talking about being born again, and we have a living hope. We have a, a, a something that is not just like, I hope this happens, because hope, like, we hope this happens. There's no guarantee to that, right? There's just like, I hope it happens, and this is it. But Jesus is our living hope. So living hope is completely different than I hope this happens. Living hope says this is a solidified hope that we have that when we go forward into the next life, he is there. We will be with him in glory. We will um, be in heaven. And so Jesus is the living hope. But what he's talking about is he wants to reaffirm this with us. But what he wants us to do is he wants us to look and it leads all up into verses 13 and then towards the end of the scripture. And Peter says, okay, we have a living hope. This is Jesus Christ. We look at Jesus. We follow Jesus. We, we look at his life and try to emulate his life. But what happens is then we have to go into this. And verse 13, do you guys see what the heading over verse 13 is? It says, called to be holy. So think about it this way. When you were before you were born again, if you, were not, if you had not surrendered your life to Jesus, you were an enemy of God. We did, he didn't do that, we did that. And so we look at that, and that call to be holy, what happened when, before you were born again was you had Jesus calling you. You guys have heard that phrase, Jesus is calling. Jesus does. He stands at the door and he knocks. He, he just knocks at the door. If you don't answer, he, he'll come back and knock again, and he'll knock again, and he'll knock again. But he's calling us to come into a relationship, coming to, calling us to come into a perfect relationship. And the only relationship that will be perfect ever is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not our end, it's just his end. So our end is always going to be imperfect, but his relationship with us is always perfect. And that, that's where we get hope from. That he is not changing. He doesn't, his shadow doesn't, or he doesn't change by the way the shadows move. The, you know, at noon he's hungry and he doesn't feel like being our, our, our Lord or our Savior. It doesn't work that way. Jesus is always consistent, always there. And that's where our living hope comes from, is that he is always there and he always is listening to what is going on. And he never changes in his relationship towards us. But Peter says we're called to be holy. He calls us to be holy as Jesus is holy. So I'm going to read this to you guys. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Sorry, let me turn my volume down. And my volume on my phone, sorry. Not very good at this today. All right. Uh, obedient. Yes. Please turn your phones to, to silent. Um, I did not. Okay. 
Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. That's That's a pretty heavy scripture right there. That's not something you just take lightly. Oh, yeah, he just said be holy. So no, it, you have to look at that scripture, and there's, there's depth to that scripture. That it's not just, oh, well, you know, that's the way it is. But he says, as you are called to be holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And he's referring to the, he's referring to the Old Testament there. Um, but he says... There's, there's more to just being born again. There's, just more, there's more than just having that relationship with Jesus Christ. Our lives, are, our, our salvation is not dependent upon it, but our, our, our walk with God is dependent upon the way we conduct ourselves. And, and you know, we're all going to fail. We're all going to have those moments where, you know, we, we have moments of the flesh and moments of, you know, hey, I didn't do the, the right thing that I should have at that moment. But Peter is saying, he says, be holy for I am holy. And if you will call on the Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed for the futile, from the futile and inherited from what your forefathers, not with perishable things, but such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So he's saying you can be holy, but it's going to take some. It's going to take a, a little bit of a struggle to be holy. What ha- what happens is, is people come into get born again, and they they expect everything to be perfect, and it doesn't work that way. It does. I'm sorry if you just got born again and. It's not going to always be perfect. Our lives are not going to be perfect. Our conduct is not always going to be perfect. But we have a model to strive for. Peter is saying, look at Jesus and be holy as he is holy. God told the children of Israel in the Old Testament, be holy because I am holy. So when Jesus was sent to earth, what did he do? He set a model. The Old Testament was just rules saying, hey, you need to do this. You need to be holy because I am holy. But when Jesus came to earth, he set an example so we could physically see how he conducted himself, what he said, how he spoke, how he um, loved people. And so when we say be holy, when he says be holy, I am holy, that's a weight that can be, if we take that upon ourselves, it can be overwhelming sometimes. You know what I mean? And I think so many people get that weight upon themselves. and like, I got to be holy. And they, well, I can't do any kind of yard work on Sunday. I broke that about a billion times. You know, we, we, we take weight upon ourselves. Well, the Bible says not to do this. Well, we have to take the Old Testament and look through it with the goggles of the blood of Jesus Christ on it. We can't take the Old Testament and read it solely and say, this is how I'm going to live we have to look at the Old Testament and say, these are the laws and the rules that Jesus laid down or that God sent to the people of Israel. Okay, so we look at the, the Ten Commandments. We can, we can try to take all of the laws that they use throughout the Old Testament and live with that, but it's going to cause a lot more pain and suffering. I'm just saying. So if we take the Ten Commandments and we look at the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ, then we can look at Jesus Christ and say, okay, did he follow the Ten Commandments? Jesus didn't say, well, you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this to be holy. He didn't. He said, you know what? We can sum it up with two things. What were they? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's a pretty easy thing to, to conform to. 
I mean, some of you guys have really good neighbors, but some of you might have really bad neighbors. So loving your neighbor, and that doesn't, doesn't mean your neighbor neighbor. That means like people around you. So he says, be holy for I am holy. So we look at Jesus and we say, okay, Jesus is taking the Ten Commandments and he's wrapping them up into two things. And he's saying, okay, I am going to live a life. And Jesus took these two things. I'm pretty sure that was what he was sent to earth to do was to show people how to love God and how to love their neighbor. If we look at that, Jesus was taking the Ten Commandments, all the laws and everything. He said, I didn't come to abolish it. I didn't come to get rid of all the rules. And people, for some reason, take the New Testament and say, well, I'm just under grace. I don't have to live by any of the rules. Well, yes, you don't have to. But we get, we get, to, we get to have the joy of living in the life and the grace of God if we follow what the Old Testament says. The Ten Commandments are really, really good. I'm saying do not murder. Yeah. You know, please, that's, that's excellent. We need to stick with those. Our country was founded on, on these principles. We need to stick with these principles. They're good for us. So what Jesus was saying, I've come to not get rid of the law. I'm not coming to get rid of all of these um, things. I've come to fulfill them. He's saying, I'm coming to wrap them up, to complete them, and so that you can live and have two rules to live by. That is love your neighbor and love God. First love God, then love your neighbor. Because loving your neighbor without God is sometimes very, very so, so Peter is saying, hey, look at Jesus. Look at what he's doing. Look at his actions, his, his lifestyle, what he did. Think about Judas. He knew he's God. He knew what Judas was going to do from the moment he called Judas. Think about this. Would you go out and say, hey, you're going to betray me to death. You're going to you know, basically give me up for like $30,000. Come follow me. Be, spend time with me. Jesus knew, Jesus loved him so much that he said, I'm going to still bring him in and give him the option to not betray me, even though he knew he was going to betray him. Think about that. Jesus had the grace enough, the perfect grace enough to bring a betrayer alongside of him. Most of us get betrayed and be like, I can't believe they did that. And it's like, they talked about me one time and you're like that. But Jesus, this guy gave Jesus up to death. We get all picky and catty when somebody says something bad about us. But I'm like, this guy gave him over to death and he still loved him. And it's like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. In our minds, even walking with the Spirit, it's still like how, if we really examine it, that's a hard, that's a weighty thing to, to, to examine is that Jesus still brought him along in everything he did, still welcomed him, him in and said to him at the, at the table, the Last Supper says, just go do what you need to do. He released him to go do what he needed to do. Because Jesus knew that without him, and it's sad that Judas was that part, but Judas was a key part to what Jesus, the fulfilling of the prophecy for Jesus to become salvation for us. And so he said, you know what, just, hey, come along with me. Three years probably he spent with, with Jesus, or, and Judas and Jesus spent time together. And Judas was still the one to betray him. He had all the grace, all the mercy shown to him. And Jesus was living out a holy life, showing them how to live it. And he still said, Judas, come with me, sit by me, eat with me. And there's, and there's moments that you look at in the New Testament and Judas is like, well, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't give that money. We need to take that money and give it to somebody else. We shouldn't. He was there's like little like red flags throughout the, the, the gospels where you see Judas was like, well, we shouldn't do this. We need to do this. 
And you know Judas was probably like skimming off the top or something like that. He wasn't honest. Let's just be that way. I mean, if he betrayed the, the Savior of the world, he probably wasn't the most honest guy when it came, came to uh, bookkeeping for the ministry. So, but Jesus still allowed him in, even with betrayal. Here's the thing is, it wasn't betrayed the moment he came up and kissed him. The betrayal was from the moment that thought came into his head. And that thought wasn't like two days before, well, you know, I could betray the Savior for some money. No, it was probably a year or more in the making. Because what he was doing, he was gathering evidence for the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the high court and saying, this is who, this is what he did. Every week reporting, and, hey, well, I got a list of this. He did this, he healed this person on the Sabbath, and then he, he blah, blah, blah. He was gathering information. He was gathering evidence against him, but Jesus still said, hey, come in with grace. Come eat with me, dine with me, talk with me. And he still gave him the mercy that it was, but Jesus was still showing his apostles and, or his disciples how to live that holy life. So that sometimes can be a daunting task when you think about what Jesus had to go through. What, our, what Jesus went through, everything that we deal with is so minuscule. It's so minor. You know, somebody said something bad about me. No, we're not friends. You know, it's like, okay, I can understand. Yeah, set up some boundaries. But at the same time, Jesus had boundaries too. You look at Jesus, what did he have? He had his inner circle. He had three. He had his three disciples that um, one thought that he really loved him the most. And, and he had his three that were his inner circle. Those were the people that he would relay the word of God to and say, this is what God is telling us to do now in this area of our ministry. And this is what God is telling us to do in this area of our ministry. And this is what God is telling me to do. So Jesus had his inner circle. He had boundaries, but he still welcomed his betrayer in with that. But, and what the disciples learned from that was while they were there, they probably had suspicions about Judas. I mean, you can't live a lifestyle like that without having some kind of suspicions. And so they were probably like, what about this Judas guy? Can we just replace him with somebody else? Because as soon as he was gone, man, they were like, boom, we got to replace him. We got to get another one and let's just move on. So, but Jesus was showing them and they finally, I I believe they they once, um, they were on their own and Jesus, they looked back at that and said, wow, look what Judas did and look what Jesus did. They looked back at his life and said, look what he did. He knew that he was going to betray him. He knew that he was going to do that, but he brought him in with, with kindness and love and grace and still kept him there. And even to the last night, hours before, he said, oh, hey, go, oh, you, you got something to do? Oh, go, go, go ahead and take care of it. I know you need to do that. But that, that job of being holy as Jesus is holy can just be daunting. You look at it, sometimes it's over, it can be overwhelming, but it's a calling that we're enabled to do through the Holy Spirit. Being holy as Jesus is holy does not work unless the Holy Spirit is actively involved in that. We have to have the Holy Spirit actively involved in being holy because just following the rules does not get us anywhere. Following the rules does not lead to heaven. As we saw, as you can see with the Old Testament and the Pharisees and Sadducees, Jesus multiple times criticized them. You stand on the corner and you pray out loud. Thank you, I'm not this. Thank you, I'm not this. That does not get you to heaven. Having a relationship with the Old Testament God does not get you to heaven. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ is what gets you to heaven. Yep. 
But that calling, uh, Jesus is, you know, he calls us into a relationship with him. He's reaching for us and he's, he, he wants to have that relationship with us. But as soon as we come into a relationship with him, sometimes we get comfortable and say, oh, I'm in that relationship with him. That's, we're good. And, and he, no, he's calling us to deeper. He's calling us to greater things. And he calls us to move from holy places to holy places to holy places. That means our holiness we are holy in the sight of God. But as we, our spirit develops, as we grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, as we grow in maturity and in discipleship, it grows a little bit more, and it grows a little bit more. But the Holy Spirit has to guide that. Without the Holy Spirit, we're kind of just like looking at the GPS going, I don't know where I'm at. See, like, I go with people certain places, and they're like, do you know where we're at? I'm like, yeah, it's east that way, and it's west that way. I'm like, how do you know that? I'm like, every move I make in my head, every time I'm driving, I will tell myself, oh, now I'm going west. And it just pops up in my head, and I just, it just, I don't know. I'm just a freak like that, but every time I turn, I'm like, oh, I, t- I was going no- north. Now I'm turned left. Now I'm going west. It's just in my head, and for us, when Jesus calls us into a relationship with him, He's saying, okay, now I'm going to give you a guide. I'm going to give you someone who's going to guide you. He's going to lead you, and he's going to empower you. What I, what I, what I hate about um, a lot of people, they discount what the Holy Spirit can do. Yeah. Well, he, he's here to guide every believer. No, no, he's not. That's only one facet of what he's called us to do. I don't even have time in a year to go over everything that the Holy Spirit is called, us, is called to do in our lives. Yeah. But one thing he's called to do is to guide us. He's called to guide us. And when he guides us, what does it do? It empowers us. Think about this. You drive, you guys, how do you guys remember when GPS first came out? Not the phone, but like the black box that you had to, you know, yeah, the brick and you had like four cables and you had to have the little antenna on top of the car just to get it because inside it it was before the little box was like there. It wasn't in the dash, sorry. Um, It was like the black box and you had a little antenna on the outside of the car. I remember those. And you were like, oh, yeah, we're going here. And you're like, your GPS goes. And you're like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? I don't know what to do now. The GPS is gone. <laughs> People are like that. They're like, they, well, I don't, have my, I don't have my phone and I don't have my GPS in my car. What do I, what do, I do? <laughs> it's not that hard to find your bearings. But what happens is, is, is Christians, sometimes we, we forget to, to listen to the, the leading of the Holy Spirit and we lose our bearings. What the Holy Spirit is there for, to do is to give us guidance and empower us. And how many of you guys me- remember when um, the GPS would go out and you're like, oh no, we're on the highway. Did I miss my exit? And then it would pop back in. You're like four exits back. You're like, oh, come on. But when that GPS came back up, you felt empowered. Am I right? You felt empowered like, oh, I know where I'm going now. Yep, I was on the right path. I, 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 had, I knew that. That GPS would come back on and you're like, yep, I feel good about myself now. I was doing the right thing. So the Holy Spirit is not just there to guide you. He's there to empower you. And so when he leads us into victory, he empowers us to go into that next victory. So there's a song, and I can't remember what it is, but it says he's fighting before we even know he's fighting for us. So when we go into the victory, it's like, oh, look what, look what happened. We're empowered to in that victory, but that victory is not ours. It is his. We just got to celebrate that victory with him. So when, when we celebrate that victory for it, look at that victory I got. God got it for me. It empowers us because that victory 
is what God got, God um, won for us. But the next battle may not be, uh, it may be us fighting some of it too. Some of the battles we we thought we had weren't that big. And then some of the battles that we didn't realize we had that were big, God took care of them for us. And we're like, yeah, that was no problem. And, and you don't even see the battle. See, God, God is like the old, uh, kings of, of the ancient times. He goes into battle for us instead of waiting for his people to go into battle. Now they just sit back in their office and go, attack, push the button. <laughs> Phone call. Uh, yeah, bomb them. Um, <laughs> back then, the king would ride into battle in the beginning. I've been, I've been doing some study of the Roman Empire, and in, in about 300 AD, if I remember correctly, there was one Roman Empire or emperor that went into battle in Germania. And this is Germany in the, in the Germany area and France and uh, Spain and Portugal area that they would go into battle. And he went into battle and these bar- the so-called barbarians defeated, defeated his army and killed the emperor on the spot. The only emperor in like 400 years that had died in battle. But think about this. Our king, he doesn't go and just say, oh, go fight the battle and tell me when you won. And then we're going to say decisive victory. No, he goes out and fights it for us and says, you had a decisive victory. But, but think about this. What did our king do? He went out into battle and he died for us. He died for his kingdom and he came back and said, oh, by the way, you have a decisive victory. You have a decisive victory for what I have already done for you. And none of this is in my notes, so I'm just going to keep going on this. <laughs> I don't have any. So, but that holiness that he's called us to be part of is his call for us. He goes, as soon as you have entered into my kingdom, as soon as you become my son and my daughter, that victory that I give you, now you're called to be holy. That call to holiness is, is, like, a, is, is like a moving up in the, in the ranks. It's like, okay, no, it's not just, oh, you get to be a foot soldier the rest of your life. You get to become a private, a captain, a general, whatever. He's saying, as you grow, you will grow in your, in your decisiveness of being able to understand what the Holy Spirit's leading you to do. And when he empowers you to do it, you won't be like, well, I hope the Holy Spirit's involved in this. You remember the first time you ever, when you were born again, the first time you ever came up against something, you're like, oh my gosh, what is going on with this? Don't know God, you just kind of like that. God, I need you to take care of this. You don't know what to do. You have, you've had those moments when we're, when we're yeah. immature in our, in our faith. But as we grow, what happens is the Holy Spirit guides us and he says, okay, I'm empowering you to do this. Now you've, you've won this battle. Now you're going to go into this battle. And then you're going to go into this next battle. And then you look back and you're like, that battle wasn't that bad. And then you look back at your first battle and you're like, man, I was just so I wasn't, no, you do. You, you, you look back and say, man, I wasn't mature enough to understand that this, this fight was simple yeah. and the tools I had were there for me. Yeah. I just didn't realize what they were. Because the Holy Spirit's not going to give you everything and tell you everything you need to know at that moment. Yeah. God doesn't do that. He doesn't want to overwhelm us with just a bombardment of information. He gives us his word. So when we're digging through his word, say, I could have used that two years ago when I was going through that. Now I know it, and I'm going to refer back to it when I'm going through things. So we look at that, and Paul says in, they're having fun back there. I think I may go back there next, year, next week and just chill out. Um, they're probably not going to have that much fun if I get back there. Um, they'll be like, what's he doing back here? Um, yeah. 
Yeah. I bring candy, kids love me. Otherwise, they run from me. Um, so Romans 5, if you guys turn to Romans 5, we're going to look at verses uh, 16 through 21. I'm not going to read all this, but I'm just going to read you a quick part of it. So the, the heading over uh, ver- chapter 5 is peace with God through faith. All right, so I'm going to start in uh, Romans five sixteen, and it says this. And for the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one's trespass brought condemnation, but free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, if because of one man's trespass, death re- reigned through one man, much more who will receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through Christ. So, for, I'm going to skip over to chapter 6. It says, Paul says this, this is, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin and let grace abound? Thank you. Exactly. Paul's like, no, we're not going to continue in sin. Oh, well, grace is just there to cover everything. Yes, grace is there to cover everything when we're dumb and we forget things and we're stupid and we make mistakes. It's not just this. You ever played Monopoly? It's not that, that one card you can get, so if you, get, you roll a certain amount or you land on something, you don't have to go to jail. It's not that. Grace is something that covers us when we have our moments of not living holy. I'm thankful for that. Think about it. Jesus dies on the cross and says, oh, if you believe in me, but I'm not going to give you grace. That would really be horrible. Think about it. I've died on the cross, so as soon as you uh, are born again, that's great, but there's no grace to cover anything else that you've done. Think about that. His grace didn't just cover us from the moment he died on the cross. His grace was extended throughout eternity. It didn't just say, oh, well, I'm going to die up to this point and my blood is going to be shed for everybody. And then mm, after that, sorry, I'm not going to continue. I don't really want to take that burden. No, but he took that burden of, of of, of pain and death and sin on him so he could extend grace and push it out to us. So Paul says, is sin going to be a factor in our lives that we continue to sin so grace could just cover everything that we do? You know, I think a lot of, a lot of modern mindsets are in the church is, well, grace is just, we we talk about grace so much that we don't talk about, uh, we have to talk about sin because sin is a real thing. If we don't talk about sin, we we can't talk about grace because without sin, there would be no grace. Grace is extended to sinners. Mercy was extended to us. So when we talk about grace, we have to say, okay, grace is a result of sin coming into the world, Jesus dying on the cross. If we don't talk about sin, we can't talk about Jesus. If we don't talk about Jesus, we can't talk about grace. We have to talk about sin because sin is a real thing. We all fall short. We all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. So if we stop talking about sin because it's just uncomfortable, Let's just sweep it under the, the church rug and let's not talk about that. Then we can't talk about what Jesus did on the cross. Because we can't, oh, oh, then he died, but we can't say for our sin. It doesn't work that way. We have to talk about the sin that we have in our lives so we can talk about what Jesus has done on his cross by him going to hell for us so we don't have to. And then him extending his mer- the mercy of God and the grace of God into our lives so that when we come into his presence and we come into rela- a right relationship with him, it becomes a peace. Think about it. 
if we did not have mercy extended to us, coming into his presence of salvation, saying, you died for my sins, but what am I going to do now? Think about this. If, if someone was standing in front of Jesus and he said, I'm not going to extend mercy to the future generations, what about my son? What about my daughter? They, what, what about my, my grandchildren? He said, well, I just died for you, not, not your grandkids. Anybody alive till this point? But he's like, no, I'm going to bring sin into the forefront. And we have to bring sin into the, the, under the microscope and look at it and say, this is what caused our breakup. This is what caused the break in relationship with us and the Father. Without sin, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. I'm not saying sin is, is, is good, but think about what was extended to us. It was so much better than living in, under an Old Testament mindset that, G, that God knew at this time, at this day, at this time, I'm sending my son who is going to become sin for them so they don't have to be. It says, he who knew no sin. It didn't say that he didn't sin. He says he knew no sin. Knowing something and doing something are completely different. It wasn't even a concept in his mind. Think about it. You have little kids and they come to an age of accountability when they know what sin is. It wasn't even a forethought. It wasn't even an understanding of how to sin. And he said, I'm going to send my son who knows no sin, who, who doesn't understand it, who doesn't even walk in any kind of, of uh, mindset or, or culture of it. It's going to take your sin. He's going to take it on himself. He's going to put it in his body. He's going to take sickness and he's going to put it in his body. He's going to take pain and he's going to put it in his body. And he's going to know sin for you. Because sin is just the seed of everything that we deal with on the earth. Sickness, disease, pain, suffering. Yes, COVID-19 is all because of sin. It took us out of that perfect relationship with Jesus Christ and with the Father, and that's why he sent Jesus Christ. Because, think about this. Genesis, he says, let's make man in our image. Well, God has no image. God is God. But the image of God is Jesus. So when he said, let's make man in our image, he's, he's referring to a, a Jesus, and he said, you know what? We're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to look at him, and this is how we're going to make man. Because we look through the Old Testament and there was multiple times where Jesus or a forerunner of Jesus was in flesh in the Bible, in the Old Testament. So we look at him and say, hey, God's like, I'm going to send my son. He doesn't know sin and he's going to be sin for you. And Paul says this, says Jesus Christ, excuse me, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with his baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So he says, okay, sin is a prerequisite for salvation. If you haven't sinned, you don't need Jesus. But if you haven't sinned and you think you don't need Jesus, you're gravely mistaken. He says, all have fallen short. Every, every one of us have done, have done something in our life that brings us out of the relationship with, with God. It could have been at four, it could have been at 10, it, whatever it was. It brought us out of that relationship with Jesus. But he says, I'm sending my son so you can walk in newness of life. Not, well, I just got, I've got a, a free, get out of jail free card, but I'm going to still walk in the old man. He says, no, you're going to walk in the newness, the new man, put on the new self, and you're going to walk it with him. So as a new person, 
sin should not be a factor for us. I heard one uh, preacher say, he says, sin has to come from the dead and buried man that you've dug up out of the grave and tried to put that skin back on. That sounds weird, but it is. Think about it. As, as, As being born again, that means we're born again into Christ with the Father. So that means that the old man, it says, is dead and buried with him, and we're raised to new life. So that means we'd have to go back out into the spiritual graveyard, start digging up corpses. Yes. So, but our old self was crucified with him. So sin brought us into a relationship. We can thank Adam and Eve for bringing us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. If anything they did right, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They brought a, a new, the moment they sinned, they brought into a new area of what we were going to experience. They brought into the law, which was not good for us. It just kept us under rule and regulation. But the law was fulfilled by Jesus. So when the law is fulfilled by Jesus, then we can say, okay, I now have the ability to have a, a, a perfect relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm working on the perfect. He is perfect. The holiness is working on that so you become like Jesus Christ. So when you look in the mirror, you look a little bit more like him. And when you look in the mirror, you look a little more like him. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So Paul's saying, I'm holy-ish, and Christ is holy, but I'm working on being holy. So follow me, look in the mirror daily and say, is this what Christ looks like? And follow. Paul is saying, follow me as I follow Christ. He's saying, follow people who represent Christ well as they are following Christ who represents the Father. So he says, follow them, look what they're doing, follow them, um, copy what they're doing, and listen to what they have to say. But Jesus didn't come just to deliver us from sin. He he came to deliver us from sin and bring us into new life. The new life is what he's saying is where you're supposed to enjoy. You're not supposed to, well, I don't know if I can do that. That was it, Say that, and there's one little half a phrase in the Old Testament that says, don't eat on a Sunday after, you know, or whatever. You know, just these random made-up rules that the, Old Test- that the Old Testament people started to put into place because they couldn't, they couldn't live. And I was listening to this gentleman. He says, our, he was talking about the con- our country, and he said, our Constitution was set up in place for people who were God-fearing, and they, would, they would looked at the word of God and said, this is how we're supposed to live. And he says, the reason why we've gone away from that is because people are not God-fearing anymore. They don't look at the, they don't look at the, the Ten Commandments. They don't look at the, the scripture and say, oh, we need to live that way. And, he, and that's why we, stru- we struggle in our country today is because we have people that don't fear God. But our, our original set of laws were set up and our, our freedoms were set up because we had people that feared God. And so when we fear God, we will look at God and say, what did I do wrong? How can I change this? What do I need to do? Yeah. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. He sends the Holy Spirit to guide us. And so he na- helps us navigate the, the, the situations in life, but he also comes in and corrects us and says, oh, by the way, you did this wrong. You blew it on this, but we're going to correct it and we're going to do it better. It's kind of like parents. Sometimes we have to go to our kids and say, yeah, you probably didn't do this right. You probably should do it this way and try again, maybe do it this way better. Yeah. It's like, it's like our entire life is driver's training with the Holy Spirit. Nope, you've got to parallel park this way. You've got to turn this way. Use your blink a little bit. You know, it's just kind of that way. 
And so when we are guided by the Holy Spirit, sin is kind of a, is an afterthought because we have to go after the old man to get sin. When the Holy Spirit is guiding us, we, he only looks at, at newness of life. He only looks at what is holy and what is pleasing to God. So when he guides you, he's going to lead you into those areas. He's not going to lead you into sin. God doesn't tempt us. Well, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. He tempted you, and then you allowed yourself to do it. Or, yeah, or Adam, the woman made me do it. (laughs) Yeah. Look at this woman you gave me, you know. Like, there's always been, there's been passing the buck since the beginning of time. I mean, come on, it's just, but the Holy Spirit will lead us into newness of life. He will not lead us into areas of sin and temptation, he will lead us and guide us through those areas of temptation. Like David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So he can walk through it. Doesn't mean that he's going to be um, affected by it. It says he he sets a table in the presence of my enemies. Think about this. He sets a table before the enemies and says, oh, hey, uh, your enemies are here. Oh, hey, sit right there. Sit at the head of the table. Look at, look at them. So what he's saying is, is I'm going to lead you through these areas. I'm going to guide you through these areas. You're not going to be affected by them. You might be tempted, but you have a way out of those areas. God always gives us a, a back door out of, the situ, of, a, of a, a tempting situation or a trying situation. And he gives us that opportunity to choose that. We, cho- we have an opportunity. We can choose him or not choose him. He gives us an opportunity to choose newness of life or the old life. Every day we, pick that, we can pick that up. It's how you... How you get out of bed in the morning? Do you pick up the old man or do you pick up the new man? Some of you pick up the old man until you've had coffee, and then the new man comes up, and then it's like, <laughs> you're like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm, you know, like, and then you, then you repent for the, the first hour that you were awake without your coffee or whatever. Um, but our new life, the, the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit should be on a daily basis, should be listening to his voice, listening to what he's saying, and sin is literally going back. You have to rewind yourself to go back in your, in your life and say, you know what, I want to pick this up. I want to grab the old. I want to put on and take off the new. Yeah. So as you go out this week, just say, okay, what do I need to be guided on? What do I need to be led in victory on? Where are areas of victory that I have not had, or where are areas that I don't have victory that I need victory in my walk with God? And I think as you listen to what he's saying, you're going to start to get footnotes and cliff notes from the past. And he's going to say, remember when you did this? If you had done this, this would have worked out better for you. When you had said this, it would have worked out better for you. When you had not done this, you would have had victory in this next battle. Every Every move that we make, it's kind of like a game of Jenga. Every move that we make in our life is set up for the next area. So if you, don't, if you choose not to have victory in an area, choose to sit and whine about something, it's going to set you up for your next win or lose. You can sit and whine and complain about the situation you're in now, or you can say, you know what, I'm going to go through this, and I'm going to, whether it is rough or not, I'm going to go through this, and I'm going to still come out victorious. And I'm going to... And it, or you can say, I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to sit in my, my mud puddle and whine. And then it's going to set you up for how you go through the next. 
the next year of your life. So if you want to go through and sit in your mud puddle and whine, you can, you can set yourself up for a complete failure of the next one. Or you can say, you know what? I'm struggling through this, but I'm going to go through this and I'm going to get victory at the end. And it's going to set you up for even a bigger victory at the end of that. Let's pray.